Hey, it's Neil. I am excited to share beer stories. Hosted by my good friends Misha Smith and Ilinx Violet from Pastor Street Brewing Company. And produced by me at 7 Million Bike Podcasts. So check out Beer Stories here on a Vietnam podcast. It's going to be a special pod swap and we're going to do more of these over the coming months. There will be new episodes every week. This is for beer enthusiasts, not beer snobs. So if you love beer, you'll love this podcast. The link is in the show notes. Go and follow that if you need it and enjoy the podcast. Cheers. Welcome to Beer Stories, the podcast where we tell stories about beer. Our producer is Neil Mackay of 7 Million Bikes Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Lewis Wright. My name is Misha Smith. My co-host to my left, as always, Alex Violet. Hello. And our guest today is Kat Hua Trin Marshall. Do you think there's any reason why craft beer has been so successful in your home country? I have one word for it. It's fun. It's a great picture for the young people to follow that they, they have the new like inspiration, new things for them to do. Actually, I think five or six years ago, not a Vietnamese person comes up came up with a, an idea of making a, their own beer because they could go out and buy a Tiger or a Heineken very cheap. No one ever thought about making their own beer, but then they saw the, like a very new picture and they want to do it. I think it's, it's fun. So whenever I have like a, a very important meeting, I know them. Let me tell my boss to stay home. Like I would say I have a customer who are very fun. I say, you stay home, let me go. <laughs> I met a customer. He, he didn't let me talk because he didn't believe me. So he, he has a restaurant upstairs and he had a coffee shop downstairs. So I thought that he would ask his manager to help me with something, but he asked his barista in the coffee shop out to taste the wine for him. And I, and I was trying to talk to him, but he didn't listen to me. He, was, he wanted to listen to his barista. And I like, because I knew that he didn't know anything about wine, so I, made, I was trying to make it very friendly to him. So this one, and he asked me, what does it smell? So you can smell a little bit of mint. And his barista was trying to Google the wine. And he said, no, it's not me, it's eucalyptus. I said, you, you, you know what eucalyptus is? <laughs> no, it's eucalyptus. And, and he was like, oh, you said mint, you don't know your product. It's eucalyptus. Oh, I bet you know the eucalyptus. I failed that deal. <laughs> I remember one time that the guy asked me, can I meet your boss? I said, oh, yes, but I, I don't. I mean, he, he would answer like me because it is not something big that we would need him, that I can fix that for you. I said, oh, but I want to meet your boss. Like, tell him to come here. I said, do you know English? He said, no. <laughs> <laughs> and our guest today is Kat Hua Trin Marshall. Thank you. Well, that's a long name. You have a lot of names. Some of them are made up. We'll get to that later. <laughs> oh, it's good to be here. Thanks, thanks for Kat. having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. How did you get hooked up with the beer craft guys early on? Oh, uh, yeah. So I was working at Quang Ut Ut. And at that time, Mark was making his own beers in plastic barrels. And I didn't know what it was. And later on, they got beers from Platinum. And I, and I was very curious because the beer, the, the price was like double the local beers. And I was 
curious. And I remember I was trying to drink the leftover of the tower, like just to try what it was because it was so expensive. It was like fifty or sixty thousand dollars, and I was eighteen. So I drank it and I really liked it. And I kept asking about that. And Tim knew that Tim was my boss, and he knew that I had a a, a dream to follow. And then when he opened the beer craft, he said, "Cat, you want to move to the new role?" And yeah, and I said, "Of course." So I moved to the beer craft and I worked there. So I was like, beer craft and Guangwood, they gave me a huge opportunity to learn a new world. Awesome. So just for our listeners who might not be familiar with the inner workings of the Vietnamese food and beverage industry, Quan Udut, you mentioned, is an American-style barbecue restaurant run by Tim Scott and Marcus Dobson. And then the exact timeline, but shortly after their Udut became very successful, they opened a second concept called Beercraft. And there they served some of their own craft beers and then beers from whoever, at the time, whoever was making craft beer. They would buy a keg from everyone to sell it at their bar. They had a tiny little spot out here in the two and now the, that space is four times the size. So that's a really, for me, a really good just indication of how far the craft beer industry has come in Vietnam. So are you saying platinum, that first platinum you had, that was the first time you were aware that beer could be different, more expensive, more flavorful? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I was just listening to it and I was like, the um, the first thing you're just like, why is this expensive? I've got to like, what's the point? Maybe that made you curious. It sounded like, what could this be? Like, why would somebody want to pay this much for this type of beer? And then you tried it. And then after that, you were saying that it was so apparent, like you're, you were just first time you try a beer that's different. You were so into it that your boss is, I can tell you're really into beer. You need to switch over to this beer place and uh, follow that, I guess, that passion that he could see in you already. How many craft beers had you tried at that time? At that time? Yeah. I think I had the two Platinums and then I had the Tete and then I had some of the imported bottles that they brought from their countries. Four different beers. I think so. Yeah. I was 18. <laughs> That's always been my motto for craft beer. Get them started young. <laughs> it's lucky, I would say. I wish I had uh, started drinking beer in the fir- some of the first beers I had were craft beers. It took me a while to, to find my way there. Were you a beer drinker before when you were 18? Did you drink the local stuff? I drank the local stuff, but I was not a beer drinker. Like, I drank occasionally, yeah. And now you're a full-blown alcoholic. I think so. Thanks to us. Thanks to you. <laughs> Me specifically. <laughs> yeah, I can just tell by the way you tell the story that uh, you're very thankful to Tim for getting you, giving you that first entree into the craft beer world. Other than Platinum, obviously, you mentioned the, that was the first one you tried. Was there a beer that you remember from back then, like those early days where you were first like, wow, oh my God, what is this? Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So when I worked at the big beer craft, the one at District 3, the one with 50 taps. And I remember like we had two training days. So we had little sips of everything. And I had the one called Devil's Leg from Black Brewing. And what is this? It tastes like absolutely different from every other beer. And I know what I like. It was a session IPA. Yeah. So was that your first IPA? Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. So Alex's uh, wife, Ethany, used to talk about when we worked at the original tap room. It's like seeing a Vietnamese person's face light up the first time they try an IPA. It's just an awesome feeling. Yeah, like, oh, beer can taste like this. Is there a better feeling in the world than getting paid to drink beer? I always tell people, if you can find someone to pay you to drink beer, you take that job every time. <laughs> take it. 
Obviously, we mentioned the your next job after Beercraft was coming to work for us at Pasteur Street as a sales rep. I'd imagine you had some offers from other breweries at that. I don't want to get this to be too much of an advertisement, but why why did you want to work for Pasteur Street instead of one of the other breweries? Actually, like to be honest, because we were friends. You and I. Yeah. We were we, friends. We, we yeah. were friends. So I want to work with someone that I'm close with that I, I, I'm, I'll be safe. Because it, like sales, I hated being a sales rep before. Mm. I, I hate talk to people into buying something they don't want to buy. But then I realized that, but if the product is what I love, then I can do that. And then that's good for the customer and I can do that. Yeah, so that's why. And yeah, but the first reason is that because we were friends. So I, I like that a lot. Like that, obviously, I like that we were friends. And still, <laughs> but also just the idea of, I've said forever, I would be terrible at selling something if I didn't believe in it. So the, the idea that the that quality is the first thing that you think of that, you, like you said, it's if you're selling something that people don't want, then it's, it's a bad feeling, like trying to convince someone to get something. But if you believe in the product and you believe it's good for them, then it's kind of natural. Hey, got this great beer. You want some? Great. So I remember the start when I was getting into craft beer and I was really into it and I would take it and share it with my friends. And I'd say half the time they're like, oh yeah, that's really cool. And then the other half the time they'd be like, yeah, Alex is talking about beer again. Do you share beer with your friends and family? And if so, what do they think about it? I shared my beers with friends, but not with family. Yeah. Old generation. Forget it. But yeah, my friends, I think I was the first one to drink craft beer among my friends. And I think I was so very lucky because I, I worked with my boss and I had the chance to go to places and I had the chance to try different bottles, different craft beer brands. Yeah, I brought it to them and they're like, oh, it's very good. It's very good. But then still at my age at that time, like the craft beer price was a little, was a little bit high for us. But then still, they liked it. And if there is any opportunity that they can buy it, they do it. Yeah, like they really enjoy it. That's, that's cool to hear. And you were saying like you were lucky to be the first one. So it sounds like, do you enjoy that? Being the person that introduces somebody into this, uh, it sounds like a world for you of craft beers. That's what I always love to be. Yeah, it's a, it's a great feeling, like uh, sharing something that you care about with somebody and then they turn around and they're like, wow, this is awesome. Thank you so much for letting me know this exists or it's here. But yeah, no, that's what I was going to say is why you're so good at your job because you love it and you're passionate about it and you're doing something that you care about. And that's what I saw in you at Beacraft when I saw you talking to customers and they were always having a good time. And it's, I can see when someone's going to be good at talking about beer when I see them talking about beer in a different concept or in a different uh, context. So I'm curious about, do you have knowledge about craft beers in other countries? Do you kind of know like Vietnam is viewed as one of the best places for craft beer in Asia? I just knew it lately because I talked to Alex. And does that, does that give you a certain feeling to know that the country that you're from is a leader in this kind of global industry? Yeah, I was surprised. I looked at the pictures of the beer conference lately in, in Bangkok. Yep. And it, I, I thought it was international. But then I talked to people that I knew and they said, oh, it was Asian. I like only Asian. I said, that many people? And then I talked to Alex and say, how was Vietnam? And Alex said, Vietnam, we are one of the best. The biggest craft beer industry in Asia. I was very proud. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I think because I think like the uh, the amount of the beers sold, like craft beer in Vietnam compared to the commercial beers, is still nothing. 
It's Al- almost literally nothing. Yes. <laughs> it's still nothing. But I'm happy to see it around. I'm happy to see it like, when I go out on the streets. Yeah, I think it's improving every day. What about the um, term craft beer? What does that mean to you? As I know, like in the United States, like they'll have a formal definition and there's different criteria. But when you hear craft beer, like, what do you think about? I have I have a local definition that I talk to my friends like that, who know little about craft beer. I say it's small quantity but better quality, and it's not like commercial beer. They don't make a tons of things, and they use the, the ingredients that you definitely know about and make it very. Simple. That's hilarious that you like because that's exactly how we would describe craft beer to someone who didn't know what it was back home. Like that's. <laughs> Smaller quantities, better, smaller quantities, better qualities, and yeah, more interesting ingredients. Kat, so obviously you talk about Beacraft, early days, Platinum, Tay-Tay, very small amount of breweries. There's now anywhere between 60, 70, maybe more craft breweries in Vietnam. Do you think there's any reason why craft beer has been so successful in your home country? I think I have one word for it. It's fun. It's fun, and then it's a great picture for the young people to follow. That they have the new like inspiration, like things for them to new new things for them to do. Like actually, I think five or six years ago, not a Vietnamese person comes up came up with an idea of making their own beer because they could go out and buy a Tiger or Heineken very cheap. Like no one ever thought about making their own beer. But then they saw the like a very new picture and they want to do it. I think it's it's fun because it's fun. I think that's perfect. When we talk about craft beer, we talk about fun. So I I have no idea what you're going to answer. So this is not me trying to set you up to talk about how good our beers are. But what are your favorite craft beers now in 2022 with, like I said, with 70 different breweries in Vietnam? What are your, just name a few of your like very favorite beers to drink now. I have three beers that like my go-to. The Passage Street Pale Ale. That's what I'm drinking Is right now. One? <laughs> Do you want one? Okay. Okay. <laughs> and the one I had lately at Chas Taproom, the Milkshake IPA. Yeah, my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard IPA. <laughs> I know that song. <laughs> And yeah, the the first beer that I drank, the Platinum Golden. Yeah, I love that you're still loyal to that. After all, like when it, usually when we're at Malt, if you're not drinking a Pastor Street beer, it's Platinum, Platinum yeah. Golden. So now, like you are talking to all your friends about craft beers or maybe wine now. Um, they're generally just like, oh, this is pretty cool. What percentage of friends would you say um, you know through craft beer and what percentage is known from somewhere else? I think 70% they know from me. Even now when they work at the new restaurants, I have some friends working as managers. I have some friends working at purchasing stuff. And they still ask me about products. Like, have you tried this yet? How does it taste? Can should I take it? And I think I was doing a good job. Yeah, for me, I noticed after I got into craft beer, I was just like looking at the people I was hanging out with. And I was just like, wow, it's all people that I've met through beer. This is awesome. And it's all cool people. Before you knew about craft beer. Was beer like a part of your life or was it that spark that Tim's on you? Did that come from, oh, I'm the first person I know who discovered this different kind of beer, this craft beer? Like I say, I drank beers occasionally. Yeah. But, but when I started working at U-U, people drink 
fears all the time. So I, I started, like, I, I wanted to learn. I think it, it was a motivation also. So back then, at Udu, like before Beercraft, which beers did you guys serve on tap other than Platinum? Or was it only Platinum? Saigon, green. On tap? Yes. Oh, okay. and, um, and they have the ciders imported, the Stouford and... Right, Stouford Press. Yeah, s- s- something else. And then I remember back then it was hard to get Mark's beers because he was brewing them in such small batches and people were really interested in buying them. Do you remember trying his beers for the first time? I didn't know that he made the beers. Okay. Like after, and when I started working at Beer Crab, I saw the big menu with the Vietnamese names. And I was curious. I was like, hey, who made the beers? Who made the beers? And they say Roosters made it. Right. Yeah, because Rooster had the factory or something. Yeah. I didn't remember. So, but later on, when Mark came to the restaurant at night, when I just finished my shift and we sat down and he talked to me about the beers for two hours. That leads perfectly into my next question. Can you tell me a funny story about working for either Mark or Tim or both? You were there for a long time. I'm sure you got some funny stories. Okay. When I was work like before beer craft, when I was working, it was I was always talking. I was um, the hostess. I had the walkie-talkie. Yep. But I was talking with my friends upstairs. I wasn't doing the job. And one time, Tim came to me and he blocked the, um, the lock of the door. He locked it to my ear. And he said, if I, like, if I kept doing this, he's not going to give me the key. Tim Scott, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah, because I always forgot to wear the apron. Oh, yeah. It was my fault. Like having worked in restaurants for a long time. Once you get up into like management or any, it drives you crazy when you have talented staff who are like forgetting their aprons or don't bring a pen to work or like, because you want to get angry at them, but then it's like you're, they're your best employee. So like you can't get too angry, but also just fucking remember to bring your apron for God's sake. My managers felt the same way about me. Obviously, we went through a lot of stuff together. What? <laughs> Give me a story, Kat. Are you from the Jasmine Company? <laughs> that was always one of my favorites. So for the uninitiated, anybody who's listening, who's not aware. Jasmine IPA is our flagship beer at Pasteur yeah. Street. And yeah, I would go on sales calls and some of the staff would ask me, do you work for Jasmine IPA? Awesome. This is a beer podcast. We talk about beers, but we don't have to keep it that rigid. I mentioned you recently switched companies, switched industries, still doing the same job, selling. You're selling wine now instead of beer. In the time that you've been working with wine, can you just tell me the difference between selling beer and selling wine? I'd imagine there's some similarities, but then some differences, yeah? So what's different between selling wine and selling beer? The beer customers are more fun. Yes! The beer customers are more fun. Yes! And the wine customers are more serious. Yeah. Yeah, because I understand because they have to buy, like, high, higher-priced products. And, yeah, it's for their bigger restaurants, so they need to be serious about that. Yeah, beers are more fun. It's easier. The wine is more serious and more procedures. Yeah. That's interesting. More procedures, like more steps to getting. So I know you pretty well. I'd imagine that even though it's more serious now, do you still try to bring that fun energy to your meetings? Yes. So I work with my Vietnamese bosses. I have two bosses. They have family. They have kids. So they they are pretty strict. They they I don't know how how to describe, but they just finish work, they go home, they go work, go to work early, and then they go home. So whenever I have a a very important meeting, I would say, hey, you should come with me. But with I I, I have a customer who are very fun, and say, hey, you stay home, let me go. <laughs> 
cancel the meetings like several times after I look at my after I know my customers. Right. Like, All these people, I know them. Let me tell my boss to stay home. It's fantastic. I like it. So you're saying that the wine is a lot with the presentation. Yes, but it it really depends. At first, that was what I was scared of. I was like, I'm not a serious person. How come I'm gonna do this? But then my friends told me, Oh, you can try it. I think it's good. Like you don't need to follow the French guys in Vietnam, doing like very proper job. I said, okay, let's give it a try. But then my customers now, I heard some feedbacks that they like me because I'm very natural. I'm not gonna tell the wine like specific ingredients because, like me, I don't even understand what it is. So I'm not gonna tell them that. But I tell them how I feel about the wine. That's awesome. I feel like that's important for craft beer when you're trying new things. If you're thinking I'm gonna try this and I don't know what hop was in there and everybody's gonna make fun of me, that would be just the worst situation. I'd be like, I don't want to try beers with different hops now because I'm gonna pair it with the steak and I should have paired it with the fish. <laughs> But it doesn't seem like in craft beer that too often. It makes it, I guess, fun, accessible. And you're saying that in wine, that's wanted. That customers are like, oh, this can be fun. We don't have to. Yeah, I'd say that was your biggest strength when you were working for us. Is just how real you were. Like it wasn't. You weren't putting it on. It wasn't like a some fake thing. Oh, we have the best beer, and you should buy our beer because it's the best beer. Blah blah blah. I get that from some salespeople, and I. It's funny. I sell beer for a living. I hate it when people try to sell me stuff because, <laughs> like, I know what they're doing, and I'm like, eh, you're not good at this. But that's why you were so great at it because you're just always 100% you. Hey, thank you, Cat. Shifting gears, changing topics. Tell us about your uh, your. Newfound celebrity as a TikTok star. Oh yeah, it's one of my company's project. We um yeah we do reviews at restaurants and bars and pubs. But at first I wanted to do the street food because I'm Vietnamese. I I know street food. But then my consultant they told me that oh you're not gonna do it because you don't have time. Those people they don't like they don't have their like proper jobs. They can have five hundred thousand dong and they can. Do the market tour all day, but you don't have time. Do something more serious. Yeah, and I that word again, serious. Yeah. So why I does said, everything have to be so serious? It's wine. So I say, okay. So let's do the um, middle class restaurant mm-hmm. or high class. What's the name of your thing? Angsin Ungsin. Okay. It means eat beautifully and drink gorgeously. I like, like that. Like that. Yeah. And it's only on TikTok. Yes, it's only on TikTok. Okay, so I'm an old man. I don't have TikTok. What? How can I find you on social media? Uh, don't download it. No. <laughs> so I, I love beer, and I also <laughs> love wine and TikTok, and I, and I also love Vietnamese street food. Like you're saying, street food, amazing. And I don't see any technical reason why wine wouldn't taste really good with that. Do you ever go and get your favorite food and then just pair it with your favorite wine, I or you're tried like it. these these guys like these things don't exist in the same meal, or I haven't tried it, but I think street food is just like the Vietnamese fusion dishes. So the on, in restaurant actually they make the street food, but they they move it to a better class. Mm. Yeah, like you're not gonna get a glass of wine on the street food tour, but definitely in the Vietnamese restaurant, I think it's the same. Same. Yeah. Do you have a do you have favorite Vietnamese restaurant that, like you said, is like a little more elevated? Do you want to mention a couple of places in Saigon where you can get 
real good Vietnamese food, but maybe at a little higher price point, so you're not I, eating I, on the street. I like Wang Boi. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm, I took my mom and took my family there, and they love it there. And do you sell some wine there? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Have you ever... So you've eaten there with your wine? Yes. So you have had, like you said, elevated street food, but Vietnamese food with wine. Yes. And it goes well together. Right. So yeah, you should go to your favorite street food place sometime, bring it home, crack open a nice bottle of wine. We'll see how that goes. That sounds good. I'm going to have a banh mi and a Malbec tonight for dinner. Like I, because I work with most of the restaurants I've been selling wine to, they are, the owners are local people, not from the mm. U.S., not from the U.K. Still, I talk to them in a local way. I don't stress the food and wine pairing. Maybe they don't understand, and I believe that people have different tastes. Sure. I eat very plain, and some people eat very salty. So I usually I don't make a big deal out of it. So you just talk about the wine itself rather than trying to push certain pairings? Usually I look at the menu to see what cuisine they, are, they, they focus on, and then I suggest the wine. Like, okay. That this wine, like white men, they really like it. This wine, the Vietnamese people really like it. So, yeah, make it very friendly. And you are thinking about which wine will go well with their food, just not necessarily specifically like this bottle and this dish. Yeah. Well, I have one, one wine story. I met a customer. I'm not going to say a name. I met a customer, and um, he, he didn't let me talk because he didn't believe me. He has a restaurant upstairs, and he had a coffee shop downstairs. So I thought that he would like his manager to help me with something, but he asked his barista in the coffee shop out to taste the wine for him. And I was trying to talk to him, but he didn't listen to me. He was, he wanted to listen to his like barista. And I like, because I knew that he didn't know anything about wine. So I made it, I was trying to make it very friendly to him. So this wine, and he asked me, what does it smell? And I make it very friendly. So you can smell a little bit of mint, mint. And his barista was trying to Google the wine. And he said, no, it's not me. It's eucalyptus. I said, you, you, you know what eucalyptus is? No, it's eucalyptus. And he was like, oh, you said means you don't know your product. It's eucalyptus. Oh, I bet you know the eucalyptus. Oh, but overall, I failed that deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can't win them all. Just stick with grapes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it smells like grapes. Yeah. So on the back of that, like, obviously we've known each other a long time. You, when I first met you, you looked very young because you were very young. You still look pretty young for your age. Does that, do you find that hurts you in your business sometimes that people don't take you seriously because you look young still? Yes. I was, I was pessimistic because when I was starting to work in the wine industry, people, like some people told me that I wouldn't fit in the industry because I, because they all saw French guys or a business guy wearing suits and ties and hair, like, and gel. And so, okay, let's give it a try. Uh, I so don't sell me, I sell my products. I love that. <laughs> Was that the same when you were selling beer or did you find people? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Even though beer is more fun, you still found problems with people not taking you seriously because you were young. Because our company was big and I could say that we were the... Like most recognizable craft beer brand in Vietnam. So when they have, they also have a big restaurant. And of course, they don't want to talk to a young person. They want to talk to the boss to make a big deal. 
Right. Yeah. That's that's always going to be true. So when I first took the sales job, I would go to Hanoi once every two or three months. And at the time, John was my boss and everyone up there was used to working with John. So when I started going up, every, everybody I met up there was like, oh, when's John coming back? When's John up in Hanoi next? When's John coming back? Like they wanted to talk to, they were happy that I was there, but they wanted to talk to my boss. And then once we hired a sales rep up there, full-time Cassie, every time she met any of them, they're like, oh, when's Misha coming back? When's Misha? So everyone wants to feel special. Everyone wants the person just above <laughs> the person that whoever's being sent there. Because once Cassie gets started, nobody asked about John anymore, but they're asking about me. So it's, who's one level above you? That's who I want to talk to. So I don't think that's just your age or the way people felt about you. It's just yeah, every, re- everyone wants to think that they're important. I remember one time that a guy asked me, can I meet your boss? I said, oh, yes, but I mean, he, he would answer like me because it is not something big that we would need him, that I can fix that for you. I said, oh, but I want to meet your boss. Like, tell him to come here and say, do you know English? He said, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. Even I'm sure you saw that to a degree in a restaurant. Like you, you've got to be able to like ha- have a team that, that knows what's up and trust them like it's uh, you don't need to speak to the manager like the server knows when you can give somebody a free beer if they need it or if you know like something wasn't correct that and um yeah it's kind of it's a fun way for me to be involved in working someplace is like when you just agree i was like yeah. oh, you can talk to my boss he's gonna give you the same answer <laughs> well and that's i've had a few meetings like that in my life with either with you or with Quan or with some of our other vietnamese reps who the client wanted to meet me I'd go down and they didn't speak any English, so they'd be translating. And so whoever it was would just say to me, oh, they said they really like our beer. I'm like, awesome. And they said something else. And they said, oh, they said, but it's too expensive. I'm like, well, that's the price. And they said, can we make this beer? I'm like, no, we don't really like take requests <laughs> on beer styles. It was just a, it's a weird way to have a meeting where someone who you work with and you trust is just literally just translating for someone who knows nothing about our business and is just, but now they think they're an expert because i left those meetings as quickly as i could but then and to be fair like there were other meetings with vietnamese people who just wanted to meet the boss and the translations were just nothing but positive love having your beers our customers love it we're so happy you guys are here this one's my favorite just really want to say hello and meet you and give you a lot of free food yeah i think because they may think that With the boss, the process may get faster. If they talk to me and I need the approval, I need to go home and ask. But then with the boss, he can decide anything. Right, which is true for certain things, but probably not the things that that they are interested in. (laughs) (laughs) So, Kat, obviously, you're still around. You still talk to other people in the beer industry and try beers. Do you have any predictions for the future of the craft beer industry in Vietnam? I think it would keep growing. But the only thing that I... I'm a little bit scared of is that it may get industrialized. Like beers, like the price will get cheaper and the quality will be like worse. That's why I've been always thinking about that. If you want, because I think like if you want to sell more, you need to make it more affordable. But then also if you want to, if you make it more affordable, you need like make it not the same as you make. 10 beers. Yeah, and I think we were talking about on the last pod. I'm not scared about more good beers in Vietnam. I'm scared about bad beers creeping in and like people cutting corners on cost and ingredients. And then if somebody's trying that beer for the first time, I'm like, oh, this is craft beer. I don't like craft beer because I didn't like this one bad craft beer that I had. So yeah, I mean, obviously that's what we're all working against is bad beers. As a brewer, you have any idea? 
Yeah, um, I think that as craft beer becomes more popular, it will get cheaper because you make the beer in sometimes like a, a bigger tank or there's more people buying the ingredients. So you're like a, the economy of scale. You can get the ingredients for a little bit less and you get more efficient at, at brewing it. But I don't really see any craft brewers in a meaningful way going out and saying, hey, we're going to we're going to dominate by just cutting all the ingredients out of our beers and cutting the price and, um, it, you know, undercutting it. It may happen at some point, but I think generally it's pretty, pretty positive out there. There's um, the people that are getting into craft beer are the ones having conversations and they're having conversations with uh, with people at these like brewery tap rooms and craft beer bars. And I think that's going to be continuing like what drives it. Like you'll, you'll, you'll know how to tell the difference. I think there's enough good beer out there that you'll be able to tell that, hey, this one isn't as good. Yeah. I'm happy to see more and more new beers on the market. Yeah, I've seen more beers, like new stuff every day, and I'm happy to see it because the industry, the new industry is growing. But at the same time, like I, sometimes I taste this beer after one year, I say, oh, it's different. But sometimes I taste this beer after six months and I say, oh, it's different. But yeah, I it happens everywhere. This was a big conversation in the U.S. about the time that I was leaving to come to Vietnam. And it was like breweries were starting like thousand a year, like this awesome rate. And everybody was like, but the brewery that just started down the road, like their brewer doesn't know how to brew beer. They were a home brewer and they never got any training and the beers are all tasting bad. And, and we're worried about the, the quality of craft beer. And the industry came together and there was a, a big focus on education, but that never materialized. Like the places that needed some help, they found the help or there was enough good beer out there to where the bad tasting ones just weren't really successful. And I'm still positive for Vietnam. I can definitely see how to worry. It was what people in the U.S. were worried about, like 2009, 2010-ish. It was just like, we're growing too fast and, and our quality is going to grow down. But yes, I guess that's my thought. I, I know there's talented brewers out there that know the difference between good and bad beer and care enough to choose good beer. Okay, so Kat, at the end of every pod, we like to do a little segment I call Fact or Fiction. So if I'm going to make a statement about you or about beer, and if it's true, just say fact. If it's not true, just say fiction. Cat, fact or fiction, comme c'est comme they? Fact. Love it. I hate it. That's my worst, like, stuff for me. So is that? That's my weakness. So for our listeners outside of Vietnam, comme c'est comme they is a, uh, a popular phrase here. It means basically uh, no drunk, no go home. You know, sometimes I get tired of drinking. Yeah. So I want to leave, but then because my friends know me, say, give her three drinks. After <laughs> three drinks, she's going to stay here. Like, I've known bar and restaurant managers who were like that before. Like they could see me if I was about to go and they knew if they if I had one more beer that I'd stay for 10 more beers. So I was like, hey, Misha, here's one on the house. I was like, all right, I'll stay for one more. And then once I got through that one, I was like, <laughs> all right, come say, come ve. <laughs> I just love that there's a popular expression in Vietnamese <laughs> that you say to your friends and they have to keep drinking. All right, Kat, fact or fiction, our friend David Tinnan is Makyai. Fact. We'll just see if he listens to this. We're not going to say anything. Attack him into it. Kat, fact or fiction, beer is better than wine. Both of them is good. Okay. <laughs> Depends on the situation. Okay. So fiction. Fiction to say it definitively. Sure. Cat, yeah. fact or fiction, and I mentioned we were going to get into this. You named yourself after Eminem. Fact. <laughs> Can you explain that a little bit? Because obviously your name is not Eminem. I lived with my family in a small house, and mm -hmm. we only had one TV. 
my brother, my sister, and me, we had different schedule to watch the TV. So I told them that to save me the time that when MTV is on, so I can watch Eminem. Because it, is the, it was the only channel that Eminem was on. And your name on Facebook is Cat Marshall. Yeah, I, I listened to his songs and I didn't know anything. I think that was one of the ways I learned English. That's awesome. I just knew your name on Facebook was Cat Marshall for a long time before I think I asked you or someone else said, I'm like, Marshall Mathers. Cat Factor Fiction, yoga people are crazy. 100% mm-hmm. fat. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Last one, Cat Factor Fiction. Tim Scott was a better boss than Misha Smith. Fiction. Yeah. (laughs) Eat it, Tim. That was beer stories. (laughs) Thanks to our producer, Neil Mackay. Our theme music was written and performed by Lewis Wright. Thank you, as always, to Alex. Thanks, Misha. Thanks, Kat. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming in. And thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're like me, you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public Wi-Fi. This opens you up to digital snoopers. It's a massive problem. It can be your internet service provider, or you know who, looking at what you do online, or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease. And I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers. 